Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Hell for Don Giovanni is loneliness, according to director Casper Holton, who portrays the titular character as a reactive nobleman, lost in excess, and the labyrinth of his own mind. Dive deep into the psyche of Don Giovanni with Casper Holton and Dr. Tiffany Kuo. Tickets for Don Giovanni are available now at laopera.org. I'm Dr. Tiffany Kuo, and today I'm joined by director Casper Holton. My name is Casper Holton. My regular job is I am the CEO of the Royal Danish Theatre in Copenhagen, my hometown and home country. I'm also the stage director for this production of Don Giovanni, which originated at the Royal Opera in London when I was running that company some years ago. So I thought we'd begin with this continuum of tragedy and comedy. So Mozart and Duponde wrote this as both a yeah. tragedy and a comedy. Yeah. I don't see tragedy and comedies as mutually exclusive. I think it's like a continuum, right? If you can have tragedy on one side and comedy on the other side. I was wondering if you could tell us, you know, where in that spectrum your production of Don Giovanni lies. I agree with you completely. I mean, we've known since Shakespeare's days, at least, if not even before, that that comedy and tragedy goes together because that's how life is. Sometimes comedy can weirdly happen in really, really tragic situations and, mm. and vice versa. Things are interconnected. I think there's even a saying that that comedy equals uh, tragedy plus time. And, you know, there's, there's this sense of they are definitely interconnected. And Mozart and, and Da Ponte called the opera a drama jocoso, meaning a, a funny drama. So basically wanting both. I wouldn't say that this production is on the darker side of the scale, but I do think, of course, that in our time and age, with the Me Too movement, with us maybe particularly in the performing arts and the arts industry having become aware of abuse of power, of how all the wonderful qualities that we sometimes celebrate in our world, that we also celebrate in artists and certainly sometimes celebrate in Don Giovanni, you know, passion, creativity. I think he is even quite empathetic in the sense that he can read people's dreams. He's like a vampire. He can, he meets you and he can instinctively read what you dream about, what you long for, even maybe your subconscious longings, and then give you that. Except, of course, it's a fiction and, and he will will leave you and and abuse that ability. It, it shows how these wonderful things that we celebrate, that we are proud of as artists, that we even celebrate in the entire world today, are also dangerous. And if they're not applied with an ethical compass, if they are not applied by someone who also um, has the courage to face themselves and, and think about the consequence of their actions, if, if, it's, if they're applied to the world by someone who keeps running from himself, so to mm. speak, they can be very dangerous. So I think... There is comedy in it, and actually a, a big part of the way we designed the set was dictated by the fact that I think often in more dramatic productions than Don Giovanni, the comedy suffers because, you know, there's an endless number of scenes where you need a, a door and someone is hidden around the corner and someone suddenly appears or someone turns around and there's someone else, you know. And the, this comedy just doesn't work on a big empty stage, mm. you know, when you stand and pretend I can't see you. I, I you know, I hate that in opera when you have to kind of close your eyes and... and you know, imagine that they couldn't see each other. So we wanted to make a, a production where the comedy really works, but ultimately is a tragedy. It's a tragedy about the consequences that his actions has to for other people and certainly also for himself in the end. So yeah, I guess a bit on the 
on the daughter's side. Yeah. Because I was thinking also um, Don Giovanni or Don Juan, the character of Don Juan, has really become a modern myth. It is one of uh, sort of in, along the lines of uh, Faust. Much helped by my, uh, uh-huh. by my countryman, Søren Kierkegaard, who uh-huh. famously yes. wrote... A, a, Either or. A, 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 yeah, exactly. Either or, which is also on Mozart's Don Juan, exactly. Right. And this sort of modern myth allows us to sort of peel the layers of a character, right, more and more. And he's become this sort of tragic hero, right? And in, in sorry, we're in LA, so in terms of Hollywood speak, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like the House of Cards or mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. Sopranos, mm-hmm. and you've given us this really like um, whole world of Don Giovanni. Mm-hmm. It's like a universe mm-hmm. that you've given us, mm-hmm. and so I thought maybe we can start by dissecting a little bit, sure. maybe from the surface and then going into the you know the heart of or the brain, right? The mm-hmm. psyche Absolutely. of Don Giovanni, yeah. which is that. That, that set that you've constructed. Yeah. And so just like on the surface, um, the first word that we see, you know, in the opening of the overture is Susanna. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was talking with some choristers and they were saying, oh, you know, did you notice there was also a Chloe and there's also a Louisa. And so those are, I think, believe um, women whom um, Mozart wrote about too, right? They're all, they're songs by Mozart. And so are there other references from, you know, the Mozart world that we should be aware of? Well, famously in the piece itself, Mozart quotes Lenozzo di Figaro in the dinner scene in the finale. We wanted to show this famous list of his 2065 conquests, which Liberello sings about. We wanted to, in a way, show this megalomanic project that it has become for him, that, the, you know, the way he like a vampire, eats other people's dreams and like he, he he uses these women as objects for his own kind of, yeah, megalomanic projects. So we wanted to show that, show how crazy it is in a way when you, you know, you hear Liberello sing about it and you can laugh a bit about it and it's crazy. But when you see the names up there, hopefully you realize it's a lot of names and you realize there are actual people behind them. And then I think, I think you realize, especially because we, you see Liberello writing Anna on a door, so we understand, you know, she gets added to the list. And similarly, I think what really breaks Elvira, both in the catalogue area and later on in Mitra D. Herbig area in the second act, is when she sees her own name mm. on one of the doors on, on in the set. The, f- the fact that she understands that, that even what she felt was special, what she felt was something else, mm. she was just another name on mm-hmm. that list. She was just another conquest. She was just another stepping stone in his insane project. So... Picking the names from other Mozart pieces, yeah, I think it was a bit of fun, you know. That you know, why not? But I think if you if you look closer, they're not all from Mozart. I don't th- think you can find two thousand sixty five <laughs> female names in Mozart's right. operas. I think there's an Amy in there. I doubt that Mozart ever wrote an opera about an Amy. But but yeah, we thought it was fun to start with Susanna, since obviously we recognize the, yeah. the reference from Figaro. Right, and definitely our audience will know Susanna. Yeah, it's it's, it's just a little, um, you know, in a very serious moment, in a way, also a little tongue in cheek. Yeah. And then I was thinking, um, you in creating this universe of, you know, his psyche, you've created also or sort of brought to life, so to speak, like Donna Elvira's um maid, right? She usually doesn't make an appearance, so to speak. There is no singing or speak spoken part. Um and also I noticed that there were these figures on stage, which I believe, you know, they're dressed as white. They're sort of ghosts mm. haunting, right? Mm-hmm. Haunting Don Giovanni mm-hmm. on the second floor when mm-hmm. he's on the first floor. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, the actors were so good that 
at moments, I wasn't sure, is that a projection? Because, mm. you, you know, the, the marvelous use of projections. Mm -hmm. Is it a doll? Because mm. they don't, they barely move. Or is it a real person? Mm. Right? So this, like, slippery slope that yeah. you create, mm -hmm. right? This instability, yeah. which then I was, I, you know, because I was second guessing, right? So that, un, you know, unstable consciousness of the psyche of yes. Don Giovanni. Yes. Can you tell us more? Well, first of all, I think that's, I mean, I think there are many things to that. First of all, if we're honest, the ghosts are also there for a practical purpose since they move around these walls that make up the set. It's it's basically a house and there are walls that keep changing so that in a way, every time you think you've got him figured out, this, this house is like him. And every time you think you understand your way around it, you get lost again. That's how the characters feel. I think that's even how he feels about it. It is unstable, like you say. I've even been lost in it a couple of times when I go up to try and find the singers for notes and during a rehearsal and it's spinning, it's turning on the revolver at the same time. You know, maybe also showing this idea that Don Giovanni runs and runs and runs but really gets nowhere. And especially the opera covers the last 24 hours of his life, obviously, and begins with him killing a man. And I think he keeps coming back to that point. So when Don Anna sings her first big aria, or Lonore, where she talks about the murder really for the first time the set has done a full circle and we've come back mm. to the spot where the father was killed and later on that will happen a couple of times that we come back to that same spot even up until the point where he dies so they have a practical purpose moving these walls around but yeah we we thought it was interesting in a way to portray that somehow inside him there is we believe a conscience a conscience that he represses that he tries to not listen to he you know, it becomes so banal when you speak about it in a way, but I think exactly what you said, unpeeling his psyche is exactly what he doesn't do. That he carries with him some trauma, but he never kind of stops. He never has the courage to look himself in the mirror. He never meets himself. And that's why, in my mind, that he he keeps running and he keeps, he's like an alcoholic, he's, he's, he's an addict. He's just addicted to to, to meeting people and seducing them, meeting women and seducing them, because every time he's in the act of seduction, and that's why we also put the chambermaid, so we see one more seduction happening, because otherwise actually it goes quite wrong for him in the last 24 hours. We don't see much of this famous seduction acts that he do. Every time he does that, it's like through reading your dreams, through becoming what you dream about for a moment, like a chameleon, he can forget himself in that he's addicted to that process because as long as he, he's being someone else, he's being a fiction, he's being this illusion that he's serving Talina or Anna or Elvira or whoever or the chambermaid with, he can forget about himself, just like you can if you drink or you know, you're addicted to other things and you can forget yourself, your own pain. And I think there's fundamentally something in his psyche there that this lack of fundamental courage to address what's inside himself makes him addicted to being, so to speak, in the minds of other people. However, of course, completely forgetting that that has a consequence to the person that he does it to, that's, that giving someone their most secret, deep, innermost subconscious dream and then for it to just be an illusion can be extremely hurtful and can be and is, of course, abusive. So it's not even I mean, just the sex, but it's, it's really the way that he treats people's minds, that he makes them believe that their lives could be different only then to, to take it away, to ghost them or to disappear. So all of this we try to put into this set, but the conscience eventually can't be banished. It's what comes back. And basically for me, the finale is not so much about God coming to punish him or about being sent to hell. You know, if I wake up at 3 a.m. 
and I'm afraid of dying. I'm not. It's not really a barbecue of, of flames. I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of of finding out it was all meaningless, of being lonely, of understanding that the world carries on without me. And all of this, in a way, is what we see in this production of Don Giovanni. Him facing his downfall is really that if you live your life like that, you will end up having burned all your bridges and people will, in the second act, they are one by one leaving him. And we've tried to stage the finale in such a way that he's really all alone. Even Leporello and Elvira have left him and they are only there in his mind. It's only him playing, performing like he, they are still there because he so desperately needs someone to be there because for him, the ultimate punishment is this loneliness. And that in the end, the commendatore, this shadow inside him, these ghosts inside him come back to punish him. He loses his mind and everything he fought for, his big megalomanic project, his attempt to be God within his own universe, it just disappears. The wall, the projections go blank. It was all meaningless. It was all nothing. And then the others just carry on without him. That's his hell. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. So your um, your ending is sort of the opposite of what in you know in the libretto he he disappears right and everyone's left standing and so you sort of reverse that and what I find also interesting is that you've kept Don Giovanni in every scene more or less. There is a sextet in the second act where he's not on stage. Lucas Meacham said the other day, yeah, finally I get a tiny break to get a glass of water. But he's on stage a lot, yeah. Right. And this idea, like, yes, he's constantly running and running because, you know, this is one of those operas where no one gets that solo moment. I mean, I think what's what's very uh, striking is that he doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. You know, that the main character, it's called Don Giovanni, mm -hmm. he's our, you know main character that he doesn't never have a big aria he doesn't have the big signature aria like liberello even does elvira has you know great aria and otavio anna they all actually have or not all but many of them have big solo moments i mean think about il mio tesoro or mitra di wonderful arias the catalog aria but he doesn't he has two brief moments of aria if we can call that the champagne aria mm -hmm. in the first act and the canzonetta in the second, and they're both sung to someone. Right. They're not an aria as such. They, right. are, they are, you know, him addressing Liborello or the right. chambermaid. And and other than that, we know that, that, that what's striking about Don Giovanni is that he, in a way, changes musical language. He doesn't have a coherent musical language. It changes mm. with whoever he's with. It changes mm -hmm. with the character. If he's singing with Don Anna, it's one kind of music. If he's singing with Liborello or with Elvira, his music changes. That was kind of why, you know, it felt like he is a chameleon. Even musically, Mozart has written into the piece that he is a chameleon. He's not, there's no sense of true self in him. There's mm -hmm. this sense of, of this trick artist who can become whoever you dream, whoever you want him to be. Uh, and ultimately, that is not, uh, I mean, ultimately, that's a very cruel thing, but it's also a very, very uh, sad thing, really. Just to like dive even deeper into mm -hmm. that, I was thinking, and the women, you know, there's three women, there's yeah. Laparello and there's Mazzetto and Don Ottavio. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's almost like him against everybody else, yeah. right? And they also, you know, like you said, they might get like one famous aria. But in many ways, having the presence, right? So in other words, it seems like Don Giovanni is omnipresent in this opera. And I was thinking at one moment that, you know, instead of sort of the characters singing for themselves... Everything is through the lens of Don Giovanni's eyes. It's true that I bring Don Giovanni on stage during some of those arias. But for me, it was really more to show this, again, loneliness. That, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, he's the most lonely character on stage. He, he breaks his own life because he moves on from whoever he's seduced. And then he has these moments of depression, I think, where he's just 
What now, where the threat of having to be alone with yourself is so overpowering that he immediately lurches into the next seduction or next lie or deceit or party or whatnot. So having him on stage in those moments were for me more an attempt to show him witnessing that other people have actual relations, have real lives, that they, what he does have consequences, and then to push that away. It's like these little cracks of, I wouldn't even say humanity because he really is a monster in many ways, but but cracks of loneliness or of, of seeing how he he hurts everyone, including himself, and how lonely he is inside that house of his, uh, you know, house here, not meaning just his house, but his mind really. But I do think if we saw the other characters, maybe particularly the women, only through the prism of him imagining them, what I really wanted to do was also maybe because of how we feel today, to not make these women victims just a male fantasy, but really to give them some agency. So we've tried to say, for instance, that Anna is someone who in the beginning of the opera is quite dominated by the men in her life, particularly her father, who wants her to marry Don Otavio, whom she doesn't love. And through the opera, in a way, she has this, uh, finds this power in herself, really in her big aria in the second act. We try to even build in Normidir to build in how she liberates herself from the three men in her life. First in the in the in the recitative, she says goodbye to Don Ottavio in this production. Then in the in the slow part, in the in the rondo, she she is, looks at the bust of her father. It's smashed, and she says in a way goodbye to her father, her dead father, lets him go and tells him, don't tell me I'm bad, you know, non-medir, uh, and then in the Allegro she meets Giovanni and he says, now we can be together. And she says, no, I, I need to be free. Maybe one day I can be free for myself. And she leaves the stage with great energy. So showing that, that there are, that she can, she can, uh, she's a victim of his actions, but she can actually fight for herself. In the same way, I think in this production, Elvira, who can be quite, you know, hand-wringing and, you know, oh, poor me. Isabel Leonard is such an amazing artist and she comes on stage like a like an angry, hurt person who really, and I'm not even sure she comes on stage to win him back, but almost to kind of, she wants him to face what it is he's doing to other people. There's this energy in her, in her character. And whereas normally, even when he meets his, his maker in the end, you know, he she comes back to try and save him. In this production, that's just him imagining it. He believes, so in that point, you're right, okay. that she comes back to save him. Uh, and certainly Salina also, we she see as someone who's, she's a tough one. She's going to fight for her life. I mean, she's not had the easiest hand dealt by life, I think, but she takes what she needs in a good way, you know. So she's in a way a counter image to Don Giovanni of how you can fight for yourself in a in a positive way. It was very important to not treat the characters around him like just projections of his mind or just victims of him, just props we were using in it to mm. tell his story because if we did that, we would be doing his crime in a way. We would be treating them not as real people. And we wanted to do the opposite and show that it's real people, that there's real consequences. We, I hope in, in, in Don Ottavio's big aria in the second act, the Imitazoro, you know, it's a real breakdown. You see that this, this breaks a man. We've talked a lot about sort of the tragic moments. Mm. And I want to say the set is beautiful. Thank you. 
<laughs> and in so many ways, it's it's beautiful. I mean, first and foremost, I got to admit, I love like American abstract expressionism. I saw sort of like a Cy Twombly, maybe a Pat Klein. I mean, it's Sam Francis. And then also the the animation that makes it happen, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. it reminded me even of like the Japanese Gutai movement, you know, in which you can see the, the mm-hmm. you're in the art. So mm-hmm. in a way you've invited us audience into his psyche. And so I thought maybe you could share more about the inspirations behind those beautiful sets. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to create a world where comedy could work. So confusion, uh, doors opening, someone turning around corners, that was one thing. We wanted to have a world which was like his mind, a world you can get lost in, a world that is, as we said before, unstable, a world that is dark and dangerous and yet strangely enticing. It's maybe half inspired by Escher's drawings. You know, you understand these staircases that go nowhere is in a way a very good metaphor for Don Giovanni's mind. We wanted to put it on a revolve to show that he keeps coming back. But then we also wanted to do it so that in the end of this first act, when he finally gets called out in front of society at the big party at the end of the first act, the side walls disappear and it's like he suddenly becomes an island. You know, very literally show that he burns his bridges and become isolated. And during act two, all of the characters one by one leave him behind, leave the island and leave him alone in this house with only the ghosts of his mind. We wanted to have a set that was a canvas onto which we could project in a way to show how exactly what he does so well is fiction. You know, he creates these illusions, he creates these megalomanic dreams, he creates these beautiful fantasies for women he meets. It's not real. It's, you know, it's just light. It can go away in, in a second. And that, in a way, is exactly who Don Giovanni is. He becomes something. He is this comedian. He can be ever-changing. It's beautiful, strange, enticing, but it can go away at the blink of an eye. And that's hard to do with physical property, mm. but it's very easy to do with, with video and lights. And so, for me personally, I think it is a, a quite, uh, you know, a moment I'm proud of in the finale when he's meeting the Commendatore and just all these names, all these drawings, his whole world, just it just gets wiped out and just goes away and suddenly the wall is just blank white again. And you think like, well, that's his punishment. So yeah, the projections was a very important way to show what it is he does and how fleeting it is, how yes. how, how temporary it is, how unreal it is. There's that, you know, the, the famous duet with Zerlina and you have these clouds, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a surrealist painting. It's mm-hmm. very much like a Marguerite painting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so like the, and that collaboration with the creative team, were there sort of other inspirations from sort of today's world that added to that? There certainly was in the kind of, as, as, as I think I said, we were, the production was created in 14. So the Me Too movement hadn't quite happened yet, but I think... It's just grown clearer over the years that it was, in a way, already starting to try and deal with. I've always said that this production, in a way, it's easy to do it on Giovanni, where you sit comfortably in the audience and point fingers at him and say, oh, he's 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 evil, you know. I think a really scary Don Giovanni is one where we recognize traits of ourselves in him. And we think like, oh my God, if I didn't think if I didn't have if I wasn't humble if I didn't think about the consequences of my actions if I let go if I let my demons reign could I become like that do I have that in me 
the fact that there is something inside us that can go wrong, that can become evil, I think is much more scary than just looking at him at arm's length and saying, oh, he's bad, I'm good. So we wanted to try and make him interesting and, and attractive enough, you know, show that these are the traits that we celebrate in the world. I mean, what? who doesn't want to be creative and uh, passionate and have appetite for life and be brave and fast moving and all of the things he has? And yet it is so destructive and self-destructive when when it's not rooted in anything real. And that's really interesting because, um, of course, it was premiered in 1787. This is the beginning of the revolutions, right? And he is of a class, of a, of a you know, aristocratic class, and that sort of access and excess of power. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that, you know, maybe the power part hasn't... I mean, the power play does come into a lot of productions of Don Giovanni, but that class and that losing battle of that, of the yeah, aristocratic which we, which we see in Figaro, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason the, the newspaper, even today in France, is called Le Figaro. Is it that play helped mm-hmm. inspire the, the, the storm on the Bastille and the revolution in France? So certainly there is that. And we've tried to build that in. If you notice the first scene with Salina and Mazzetto in the opera meets him, there's a party with her friends and they're all having fun. And the moment he steps in, mm. everybody becomes afraid because this nobleman is here and what could he do? He's allowed to do whatever he wants to with them. So there are hints at that. I do think originally when it was created, I mean, it's based on Moliere's play and, and I think probably even before that, Tirso de Molina's play. And Tirso de Molina, as far as I know, was a monk who really wanted to tell people not to live like him. You know, originally it's his, he wrote this story to tell us you know, that this is this is not what you should do. And then people just found him so exciting and so fascinating that it had kind of the opposite effect and people, you know, became attracted to this character of Don Giovanni. And I think maybe we're coming back in our time now a bit to the original message of Tirso de Molina's play, you know, that it is, I mean, we've seen it in the in the performing arts and in the arts industry, and I guess all around the world, that, that we've allowed behavior that is not okay. People have suffered... Uh, very dire consequences we've not had the safe spaces where people could speak up and we we've not been good at protecting everyone who works in this industry we've allowed these wonderful qualities passion and creativity to, to roam free without thinking about the ethical dimension and so i think that's a there's a wake up in that and in that aspect i certainly think it is a production of its time and also it's been you've had this production for more than 10 years now. Oh, no, almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's been around, right? Yeah, it's yeah. been different parts of Europe and now it's in America. So in Tokyo and yeah, Tel Aviv as well. Yes. So it, it has yeah. traveled a bit. Yeah. What are some thoughts? Like, has it evolved? Yes. Has it gone through? Can you tell us more? No, I mean, first of all, nine years is a long time. And as I said, for instance, the Me Too movement happened and maybe made some thoughts clearer in it. But also, it has felt really wonderful. I hope that it is production that has quite a lot of room for personality. You know, whether it's Lucas performing Don Giovanni or it was Marius Christian originally or Chris Moldman or whoever has done it, Luca Pizzaroni, wonderful artists. It's always slightly different and they can kind of, I hope, feel not too completely free, of course. There is a production there, but there is room for personality. And I think it feels like over the years, all the wonderful casts who've worked with it have somehow left something behind. It's like every time we do it, there's a scene that comes out differently, that evolves, that we will take to the next place, that I say to my assistants, let's remember this because that was interesting. So it feels like 
every time we've done it and every cast that has done it it's made an imprint somehow on the production it's become this organic thing that is never i'm sure if you go back and look at the original video from when it was fresh in february 2014 uh, in london it would many things would be quite different today although of course the main framework is the same it keeps evolving and that's that's the fun of it you know there's no fun of meeting a cast and just tell them to to fit into a, a system that someone else did you know they have to find their own pathway through it and i think yeah, certainly with the with the amazing cast we have here um, Leporello you know we ha had some Leporellos who played up the Buffo character more who was maybe more the funny guy I think here with Craig we have such an intelligent singer actor on the stage it gives a different aspect to him the way that he observes Don Giovanni so you know I think every cast leaves an imprint on the production anything else you're looking forward to in this particular production I'm looking forward, of course, to seeing how Los Angeles audiences, uh, if they like it and, and how they take to it. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Tickets for Don Giovanni are available now at laopera.org. If you enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Oh!